is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there. Welcome to the program. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for your company. As floodwaters continue to cut the East Kimberley off from the rest of Australia, a pastoralist there is asking for the rebuilding of the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge to be prioritised. The idea that it's going to take two or three years to rebuild that bridge is just ridiculous. You know, you've got Northern Australia cut off from Western Australia and you've got all the businesses that revolve around that, not just us as cattle producers, but tourism businesses, your normal industrial businesses that are bleeding here until that road access gets in. Yeah, there are plenty of places cut off in the top end at the moment as the wet season continues. We'll be checking in on a couple of communities this afternoon. And stats out show that Australian farmers have produced their most valuable year yet, growing $90 billion worth of food and fibre. Are we going to cross to Canberra today where the national forecaster, commodity forecaster ABARES is having its conference to take a look at all the numbers. And when you think of recycling, you might, first thing that come to mind might be small plastic waste. But what about the bigger stuff? If we look at the waste in the Northern Territory, roughly around 32% of all waste that goes to landfill comes from construction and demolition. And a really big part of that is concrete um, in particular. And so it makes sense to be able to turn it into another product that's usable, save it from landfill. Yeah, talking recycling with one of the finalists of the NT Rural Women's Award. That's all up on the Country Hour today. Well, let's start off by heading to Timber Creek, which remains cut off by floodwaters effectively in both directions, east and the west. The Victoria Highway, it is now closed between the Buntine Highway intersection and the Western Australian border section of that stretches more than 300 kilometres. The Victoria River, it remains over more than two metres over the bridge at the Victoria River crossing. So there's a lot of floodwaters coming down the Vic at the moment. Uh, at this, uh, as we go to where, um, it is expected to stay over that bridge for the next few days, at least even potentially into the weekend. Uh, Jack Horgan, he works for one of the local Aboriginal corporations in Timber Creek. Um, he's been part of a meeting with Emergency Management Committee in town there, which has been happening daily over the last week or so. Um, I spoke to him a short time ago about how access in Timber Creek is looking. Uh, access is not very good. The actual Timber Creek uh, weather and situation is perfectly fine. In fact, it's pretty hot. Uh, but because uh, we had no rain and not likely to get any, according to the BOM, for some days at least yet, um, which is good. Uh, but access is a problem. Uh, the Victoria Highway uh, from the famous Victoria River uh, road bridge at the uh, at the roadhouse there, uh, that's about 90-odd K uh, east of Timber Creek on the road to Catherine. Uh, that uh, that bridge is uh, still uh, running about two metres over the, over the top of the bridge. The water, the Victoria River, is still running to about that two metres over. Uh, and, of course, all of that flows down the Victoria River um, via somewhat long and 
complicated um, procedure but it gets when it eventually comes down it comes down past timber creek itself um, uh, which in fact the very edge of it uh, passes by uh, timber creek the township um, and uh, then it more or less not quite straight but it heads straight towards its mouth which should be about another oh perhaps uh, 130 odd k i suppose uh, towards the joseph bonaparte gulf and have you um, gone to have a look at the river today how does it look uh, yes, it's over the uh, the only the only bridge that we can access, of course, is um, the uh, what we call the Bradshaw Bridge, which goes over to the um, uh, Bradshaw uh, Training Range, uh, which is a military range, and that bridge is. It's not a not a, um, a public uh, bridge at all. It's 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 owned by the Australian Defence Force, um, but the water is over the top of that now this this morning, um, and uh, it's not it's flowing pretty quickly but it has been over that bridge before it's a pretty solid bridge so it's not i don't think it's an issue with the bridge itself um but it is inaccessible of course for obvious reasons um but uh, yeah uh getting back to access well there is no uh, um access from timber creek to uh, to um the well effectively catherine um and going west there's no access the road has been uh, closed uh, from uh, Timber Creek to the WA border uh, and the reason for that is not because it's flooded, it was uh, uh, last week sometime but um, uh, but it, it's it's not closed because it's flooded, it's closed because they're, they're trying to, uh, to stop uh, uh, trucks particularly coming through to Timber Creek from the west um, simply because uh, when they get to Timber Creek the roads close and they, they, they can't if they stop in the middle of the road where it's damaged um, they can't turn around <laughs> so that they effectively block the road <laughs> so uh, that, yeah. that, that's what so you can get a permit, uh, but that would only be for locals anyway. So that they're only going. So, so yeah. The so Timber not... Timber Creek's pretty isolated at the moment. Um, how is the town doing in terms of supplies for food and such? Oh yeah, not not bad at all actually. Uh, uh, part of our local emergency management meetings every morning, uh, the store is there, of course, and amongst many other people. And and um, that uh, he's the the. The manager there said that um, uh, they've got enough uh, supplies and food and general stuff because it's like a supermarket. Um, they've got most most things ready. Uh, the truck that supplies that is normally comes on Thursday, but of course this coming Thursday it's been cancelled, um, but because it can't get through. But <clears throat> but they're hoping by Thursday the 16th that they should be able to get something through. But uh, even if they can't, the, they'll be running reasonably low by that stage. So we'll have to re- review that situation. And um, and what are you hearing from authorities about when the uh, the highway to Catherine might reopen? Uh, well, that's a bit of a, uh, a problem because um, while the uh, Victoria River Bridge uh, at uh, at uh, the, the famous crossing um, is uh, likely to be um, uh, round about next Saturday or Sunday, it's likely, possibly, maybe, the, the water will be below the level of the deck, in other words. This so, coming Saturday, so- Sunday? 
Uh, yes, yes. Um, but that doesn't mean to say the Victoria Highway is open because uh, about 3k out from that bridge towards Timber Creek, uh, there's been a major subsidence of the road because it's very twisty and it follows a river around the mountains and, and um, uh, they're not sure what they can do there because they um <clears throat> it's a bit of a catch-22 because <laughs> the, to, to to fix that they've got to make sure that the uh, the the bridge the main bridge is open so they can get their stuff across there but uh, so so um that the problem with that is that uh, they they can't open the victoria highway until that section is at least repaired not necessarily i mean it might be restricted traffic but they can't actually open it at all because because there's nowhere to go you just stop and that's it you know you just fall into the river basically yeah right so, so you might be sitting tight in timber creek for for some days to come yet oh yes yeah i think so yeah there's still air access of course but even and and our airstrip is uh, is open at the moment and not not expected to to unless the river uh, the Victoria River rises pretty dramatically, and I'm not saying it won't do that, but unless it does rise, um, the airstrip itself will be will be uh, it's dry and it's it's not raining and it's fine and it's it's open. Um, but uh, if the river does rise, yes, it'll start encroaching on the edge of the of the the main main strip, so <laughs> they'll have to close that as well. That is Jack Horgan from Timber Creek. I just spoke to him a short time ago. And how about that, hey? The Victoria River is over top of the Bradshaw Bridge. If you've ever seen that bridge, uh, the river at that point, it's more than a couple hundred metres wide. And in the dry season, it's, uh, it's a long way above the river. So there is a lot of water still going down that Victoria River. As we go to air this afternoon, uh, the Vic is still more than two metres over the bridge at the Victoria River crossing. And according to the Weather Bureau, uh, the river level there is expected to stay above that bridge deck level until the weekend. Um, so, yeah, a lot of water still to come down the river there. Uh, if you're just tuning in, this is the Country Hour. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. It is 20 minutes to one here on ABC Radio across the Territory. Uh, there's also been some plenty of rain in the Gulf Country over the last few days and there is a minor flood warning current for the MacArthur River. Uh, the MacArthur River at Borrelula there, it's currently just over 9 metres. Uh, Casey Hux is a long-time local in Borrelula. I spoke to her a short time ago about how the weather's been in the town there. Oh, for probably about the last week we've had um, fairly constant rain. It's just been off and on all, all, all day, all night. Um, I think our largest in the last week was probably 86 mil there on Saturday. Um, yeah, so the rivers are up and down quite often, but um, we're finally seeing a really good wet and it's finally getting very close to coming over our bridge here. Yeah, you went down and had a look at the bridge over the MacArthur River a short time ago. How's it looking? Yeah, so that's the Burktown Crossing, as we call it. Um, I think it's on bomb. it was sitting at three, uh, 9.38 metres but it was pretty well level with the bottom of the bridge, so it'll only take you know a couple couple more um, rises in the river for it to come over the road. And are you expecting more water to come down the river? Oh, just looking at BOM website, we haven't really got much else to look at, but um, it's rising at the MacArthur River Mine just upstream from us, so um, we still got to see a bit of that water coming down. Um, but um, further upstream into the catchment areas, it's falling, but it all depends on how much rain we get in those those catchment areas over the next few days. 
And what will it mean if the river does go over the bridge? Are there many people living on the other side of the river? Um, so we've still got like Gurrawa 1 and Gurrawa 2 camp across the river there. There's a few residents there, but as you know, long-term residents, we're pretty used to the river coming up and down. Um, since we've got the bridge on now, it's made access across the river a lot lot safer and a lot more um, you know, long-term, but if it comes over, it should only be up for maybe a day or so. But they, those people are pretty well prepared, I believe. The Carpentaria Highway, it's shut uh, on the way to Daly Waters at the moment because of flooding. So um, not much movement for a little while. Yeah, yeah, i just seen that before on the news. Um, I think that's up, up towards Tannenbrunny Station there, and that's um, usually up and down as well. But um, from what I could see, essential services like our food truck and mail truck and everything should still be able to get through if they've got the right permits. And what's the feeling in town there at Bolalula when the the river is up like this and there's lots of rain around? Oh, everyone seems to enjoy it. I think they think it's 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 quite good to see that the river's getting a really good flush out. Um, as I said, we've the, those that have lived here long enough, we've seen it come over quite a few times um, over the bridge. So yeah, it's, it's it's like a normal wet for us. It's pretty good. Casey Hux speaking there from Bolalula where there's currently a minor flood warning out for the MacArthur River. Um, Casey sent me uh, a photo of a bridge of the bridge there in town uh, taken just over an hour ago or so, and the water was just lapping right at the bottom of the bridge there. Um, and, yeah, there's a chance that it may uh, go over top of that bridge in the next day or so as more rip water goes down the river. Um, as we mentioned, uh, the Carpentaria Highway is now closed from the Stewart Highway to the Tablelands Highway intersection due to water over the road and flooding. Uh, the Vic Highway, it is closed at the Buntine Highway to the WA border. The Buntine, it is shut for its entire length, so from the Vic Highway intersection all the way to the WA border. Uh, there's still a bit of water over the road uh, the Stewart Highway at various intersections. The Barclay Highway has water over the road and a number of places between three ways and the Queensland border. I've seen photos of some damage to that road. So if you are on the road, please drive carefully on the Barclay Highway and the Roper Highway remains closed due to flooding today. G'day, my name's Han. I'm a tropical fruit farm out of Darwin. I am um, always too busy to listen to the country hour at lunchtime. So instead, I will always listen to it after hours on the podcast. Just sticking with access issues, uh, over in the East Kimberley, pastoralists are urging the WA government to speed up efforts to rebuild the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge. So the towns of Kununurra, Wyndham and Halls Creek, they're currently cut off in both directions, as are many of the pastoral properties in that region. Hayden Sale, he runs cattle on several stations in the East Kimberley where his major markets are currently inaccessible. He says repair works, well they need to happen fast so that the region isn't in the same predicament come next wet season. At the moment we've got no options, Kinsland Territory is having trouble except for Wyndham but you know, I would hope that that will clear up. You know, we don't traditionally start selling our cattle till April, so there's a bit of, little bit of time. But we just have to work on the, the theory that there's going to be no access broomway until a low-level crossing, which is being mooted for the Fitzroy River, is available. So, yeah, we're really committed to eastern and southern options, which are, we're exploring now. But they're, uh, you know, they're probably the closest to us, the Wyndham Port. But Wyndham is, Wyndham is very much a smaller port with smaller facilities involved in the quarantining part of it. So, I doubt whether. 
they could do all of the cattle coming out of Eastern Kimberley. So then we're on to uh, Darwin and then our Meatworks cattle uh, that aren't suited to that trade may have to go down through Alice Springs or further, further east into Queensland as it stands. So how much of your cattle would you typically send via the, the Fitzroy Crossing Bridge? Nearly all of them. So we have Meatworks options into local KMC Meatworks or a delivered option into the broom for Southern Meatworks and then the boat trade. So it would only be the odd Wyndham boat that's gone. I think we did one last year, but you'd have 95 plus percent would go to broom in a normal operating year. What sort of cost does that add to your operation, sending that cattle to those other markets? Well, it's twofold, really. Like, it's the immediate freight cost, which we've just got news that there will be a freight subsidy uh, that I don't know the fine detail of yet, but the, of the, what I've read uh, so far looks very promising. My reading of it is up to 200% of what it would have cost you to get to broom. So you, you pay the first leg, which was your broom cost, uh, anything up to 200% over that, we get some help on, which is great because that was really significant. You know, we took the cattle through to Darwin and Alice Springs would double and go close to triple our costs. So that's one issue that sounds like it's promising, uh, but the other one is is just logistics. You know, you've got double, potentially triple the amount of trucks that you're going to need in the area to cover those distances to shift that rather than using the same amount of trucks that on turnarounds out of broom. So there's, there's still a number of issues that we have to um, get our heads around, really. And obviously the Fitzroy Bridge, it's, it's going to be out of action for some time. It could take years before that is completely rebuilt. What sort of urgency is there to, for your business to have that bridge up and running to its full capacity? This is a really important point, Seth, that we're pushing on the KPCA front and, and also personally through our businesses is that the idea that it's going to take two or three years to rebuild that bridge is just ridiculous. You know, you've got Northern Australia cut off from Western Australia and you've got all the businesses that revolve around that, not just us as cattle producers, but tourism businesses, your normal industrial businesses that are bleeding here right, until that road access gets in. Because I think a lot of people understand is we have no other viable alternative. You've got this crazy situation where Perth is cut off from Darwin, except for going through the middle. So I think the authorities should be looking at a one-year rebuild and just making that work on, on nearly an emotional emergency uh, footing. Because the ridiculous thing here is that if as soon as we hit December this coming year and the, and the river rises, the low-level bridge will disappear and we're back in the same situation for another four or five months. Now, this freight subsidy, I believe, is $42 million to start with, and I think they'll soak that up pretty quickly. So if you're looking at two years of freight subsidies, why not throw that money at making the bridge work in one year? So say, I'm just plucking numbers here, but say the bridge was $100, $100 million and it costs $200 million to build it in one year and throw every resource you've got at it, economically, it's a smart move because you're going to burn that money anyway and you're going to save all the grief for the businesses that operate in our area. So any other first world country that had basically their country split, there wouldn't be any discussion about three years. It would just get done. Hayden Sale, he is the General Manager of Argyle Cattle Co. and Ugolawala Pastoral Company, and he was speaking there with Steph Sinclair. It is 11 minutes to one here on the Country Hour. Uh, let's have a tune now, and then up after that, we're going to head to Canberra, where you'll find out just how much food and fibre Australian farmers produced in the last year. And it's a lot. Emily Nanny there with In the Morning. You're tuned into the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald, on ABC Radio right across the Territory. 
We're also available on the podcast and you can find us really easy on the ABC Listen app. Well, Australian farmers have produced their most valuable year yet, growing $90 billion worth of food and fibre. Those numbers, they come from the National Commodity Forecaster, ABES, which today is holding its national conference in Canberra. Our reporter Alice Marshall is there with all the details. Good afternoon. I'm here at the 2023 ABARES conference, which is where the government's been crunching the numbers on the agricultural sector over the last financial year. I'm here with the National Rural Reporter, Kath Sullivan. Kath, can you please tell me what does the latest report tell us? Alice, first of all, it's so good to see you here in Canberra. The numbers are in and I can tell you officially it's been a bloody great year for Australian agriculture. For the first time, Australian farmers have produced $90 billion worth of food and fibre and a record-breaking $75 billion worth of exports. Um, Now, this has largely been driven by great conditions. Um, I know that a lot of people got a little bit too wet over the past year, but by and large, it's helped Australia produce its biggest ever winter crop, um, something like 67 million, 64 million tonnes. There's too many numbers here for a journalist like me, but 64 million tonnes across the country. And that's been met with really high prices due to a number of reasons, um, including the conflict in the Ukraine, um, global shortages, the impacts of COVID on the supply chain. There's a number of factors playing into that. But um, I think that Australian farmers will be delighted to see that this has been uh, their highest value year on record yet. And so a bumper crop that we've seen here on the eastern side of Australia, and that's been matched over in the west, is that right? I would say absolutely more than matched in WA. It's been a record there, 25.6 million tonnes of winter crops. So we're talking things like wheat, barley, canola. Now, this is 61% higher than the 10-year average and 9% higher um, than the previous WA record of 23.4 million tonnes, which was only just set last year. Um, And this has contributed to some really huge on-farm incomes for grain growers. I mean, um, we'll get to talking about inputs and the cost of doing business in a moment because I can hear people saying, hang on a minute, my car's never been so expensive to run or um, I can't find workers. But um, when we look at on-farm incomes, according to ABARES, which is the government's commodity forecaster, the average cropping farm income this past financial year was $665,000. Now, that's on average, and I don't know um, how common average is. Um, That certainly sounds like a huge figure. It was also a record figure for dairy farmers this year. They've seen some high returns after um, a fairly rough trot. I I think you could say more bad years than good in in recent times. And dairy farmers on average have had an income of 390,000, which is up from the broadacre farm average of 371,000, which actually fell back a little bit this year on last year. I think it was down about 7%. And some of the reasons for that might be the fact that fertiliser costs are absolutely through the roof. I think two and a half times what you might expect. And of course, with the flooding, we saw a lot of damage to some crops and uh, importantly, a lot of damage to roads as well, which has really slowed up the supply chain. Yeah, but as you touched on, despite some, some very difficult and trying conditions this past financial year, we have seen a fantastic outcome and mm. that's been 
the is it the third fantastic outcome in a row? Well, I think it's a fantastic outcome. I'm sure there'll be somebody listening who can tell me there's a reason why this isn't a good thing. But um, this is $2 billion up on last year's record, $88 billion. That was unheard of um, at that time. Now it's $90 billion. Of course, the industry has set a goal led by the National Farmers Federation to be worth $100 billion by the year 2030. Um, it might seem like it's getting within reach, but ABS Chief Economist Jared Greenville has warned that uh, it's unlikely that we'll have another record-breaking year next year. He points to just two examples of a run of um, three good years in a row, one in the 70s, the other in the 90s, and he really points to this as being the high watermark. Here's a little of what he had to say. The expectation, unless we get a return of these kind of seasonal conditions, which would be very unusual in the historical record, three run of good seasons only happened twice, as far as we can see looking back, once in the 90s and once in the, in the 70s. Um, so it's more likely that we'll shift to a, a more normal but harder environment um, to work in. And so in terms of production outcomes, it's likely for the next couple of years that this is the high watermark. Um, and what will grow sector value going forward will have to be price and the prices that we get and that's where international markets will be very important. That's Jared Greenville from ABEARS there. So Kath, what is the report saying when it comes to the next financial year? Well, when we look at the headline figures, um, it's forecasting that the value of farm produce next year will be $81 billion, so back by $9 billion, and farm exports will also fall by $11 billion to $64 billion in the next financial year. And you heard um, Jared Greenville really touch on it there in that grab, that if farmers do want to boost the returns, the way to do that is most likely going to be by value adding their product and um, finding new markets or getting existing markets to pay more for their produce. And I think that's the thing we're going to hear a lot about here um, at the ABS Outlook in Canberra over the next couple of days. So hopefully more to come when it comes to how to actually do that. And we're going to find out. Well, when you think about it, Alice, I mean, um, we've seen our biggest winter crop. There's been more land planted than I think ever before in intercropping. Um, so farmers are really making the most of what they've got of, of the natural assets and of this high rainfall. And hopefully they'll be able to capitalise on the high soil moisture again in the coming year. But uh, yeah, there is a bit of a warning there that, um, that perhaps this is as good as it's going to get for a little while. Kath Sullivan, she is a national rural reporter. Ending that discussion there with Alice Marshall from the ABARES conference in Canberra. So some big numbers reported there, but um, yeah, ABARES not expecting the run of good years to continue for much longer. It is forecasting Australia's farm sector value to fall to $81 billion and farm exports to drop to $64 billion in the 23-24 financial year. Uh, you can read more about all that on the ABC Rural website. <laughs> G'day, my name's Will Weir from WTW Brahmins. I live out at Amaru Station and I've just started my own Brahmin stud. You're listening to the NT Country Hour. Well, we've still got plenty to come on the program this afternoon, including hearing from another one of the finalists for the NT Rural Women's Awards. And, of course, we'll chat with the Weather Bureau at our regular time in about five minutes. If you've got any questions through the Bureau, text them through 0487 
Yo, what's going on, everybody? My name is Gelam Banu, aka Balabaro, Narayako, Rilipirbanu. Yo. Yo, my name is Davis, Wirpanda, and I'm from Baniala. I work at Kulukula. My Yulmu name is Wadon. I'm a Yulmu man. And you're listening to Country Hour. And you're with me, Dan Fitzgerald, on the program today. Broadcasting right across the territory on ABC Radio. We're also on the podcast. We're on the Listen app. And if you're ever in the lounge room or you've got a, a telly around, you can catch us on the TV on Channel 25. Plenty of ways to tune in. Uh, still coming up on the program today, uh, we're going to be catching up with another of the finalists for the NT Rural Women's Award. You'll hear from her very soon. Uh, but time now to head to the Weather Bureau where we've got Sally Cutter on deck today. How are you, Sally? Oh, not too bad, thanks. That's the way. Let's start in the Victoria River region uh, this afternoon. Uh, how is the Vic River looking? Well, it, I suppose there's a bit of good news. But it has peaked at Victoria River Crossing. So we are seeing that pulse, a very large pulse, a lot of water moving down. So it's with the river dropping. Hopefully, we'll get below the deck and end of by the end of the week. We still, it's still got to drop to nearly two and a half meters. So it's, it's all from its peak last night. So it's a fair drop that it's still got to do before they can get in and have a look at the bridge. But the, the water is dropping, which is the, the good news on the east, oh, sorry, the western side of the top end. Daly River, it's, it's they're just starting to come down. There was a little bit of rain up in the catchment overnight, so that might just slow the, the falling, but it's, it's on, on the way down. The, Burrell, the MacArthur River at Borrell is on its way up, though, and it should peak tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, okay, and the, the Catherine River is uh, on the up a little bit after some good rains overnight. What sort of rainfall totals did we see in that region and around the top end? Oh, uh, yeah, there's some pretty big rainfall totals still. The that line that came up through the Daly District, we're looking at Labelle had and Gawley both had 113 millimetres, Channel Point 98 millimetres, Dum and Mirry 89, Daly River Police Station had 89 millimetres as well. Mount Nankar had 87, Darwin River Dam 85 millimetres, Fish River 80 millimetres, Edith Falls Ridge 74, the Pines 70 millimetres, Beam Boom Crossing 69, Falsh Headland 68 millimetres, Fanny Creek 63, Euralba Ridge 62, and the Botanic Gardens in Darwin 61. Yeah, some, so, some yeah, good so falls and, there. And um, 60. Yeah. Is there much more of that to come? Uh, we are going to see an easing trend. We're still going to see some those showers and storms around the Carpentaria, the eastern Carpentaria district, for another couple of days, just as the low to over Queensland just moves a little bit further away. MacArthur River, Borrelula has already had 14 millimetres, and Borrelula itself 13, and Merlin is 7.6. So there's been some reasonable falls, and Central Island's had three. So that's where most of the rainfall has fallen since 9 a.m. The rest of the top end, Wednesday might still be a little bit wet through the daily district and down to, through the, the border area, but 
we're just looking at those showers and storms and they're going to become a bit more isolated as we go into the weekend and by the time we get to Saturday, Sunday, it's really just going to be the north coast that's we've got a, a medium chance of seeing anything. The rest of the top end's only slight chance and then we're actually getting some drier air into the top end as well so it's not just above the surface where things are drying out it's going to be a little bit down where us humans and reside that we're going to see a little bit of drying as well yeah okay uh sally i was speaking with a cattle producer in the sort of uh uh, Daily Waters, top of the Barkley sort of region, who wanted to see a bit of sunshine, um, so that all the all the water could um, uh, really make the grass grow. Um, is there much sunshine coming for that part of the world? Yeah, there's a bit of cloud there at the moment, but the the chance of getting sunshine is improving, particularly as again as we go into the weekend. The so to, probably not so much today, but tomorrow we're going to start seeing that drier air. The dry air is basically halfway between Alice Springs and Tennant Creek at the moment, and that's going to be moving north. And as it moves north, it's just going to to help stop the clouds for those that want the sunshine to help with some drying things out and get the grass to grow. And so yeah, it's, it's it's coming. The the, the, the sunny conditions are, are coming. We might see a little bit of return to a bit of clouds next early next week, but uh, we're going to this week. It's going to be pretty clear through there. Okay, and um, for Central Australia and Alice Springs, um, how are things looking today and the next few days? Oh, that's sunny. It's cooled down a little bit. We've, we've got those southeasterly winds in, so it's it's pretty dry down through. Through there, it's in both no rain and the air is pretty dry. The I mean, it's only 30 degrees at the moment in Alice Springs, and as far as those temperatures go, we're looking at the to, into, into the lows. So that's Lara. The 33 today, 31 tomorrow, 30 on Thursday. Having mentioned Yalara, we're looking at 34 there, dropping down to 32. It is warming up next week, so so from Friday. We start seeing the temperatures sort of just creep up to Friday, Saturday, and then they sort of plateau out and into the mid to high 30s. Okay. Um, thanks for the update, Sally. Anything else in there you be aware of before we let you go? No, just be aware that the we still got those ra- that rainfall. There's a risk that we might see some heavy heavy falls through the Carpentaria still but we're keeping a close eye on those and they're really just the usual keep an ear out for any further warnings that we do issue regarding rainfall or those thunderstorms. Okay thanks for the update Sally. That's okay. That is Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau and yeah stay tuned to ABC Radio or via the Bureau of Meteorology's website for updates on those warnings. It is 12 minutes past one. ABC Listen. So uh, what's the craziest question you've ever been asked on the Dr. Carl podcast? We've had everything from prawn allergies to urine volume and what turned out to be giant cosmic vacuum cleaners. We've had an AI writing a sassy email, cheese causing weird dreams. The background is that nothing is really impossible in science. Dr. Carl and Dr. Lucy have all the answers on the Dr. Carl podcast. Find it on the ABC Listen app. Now, all this week on the Country Hour, we are featuring finalists in the NT Rural Women's Award. And today you're going to hear from Eileen Breen. She works in civil construction and is particularly interested in increasing recycling opportunities. I sat down with her 
and asked her about her work and what she hopes to do uh, if she uh, wins the NT Rural Women's Award. I am a business development manager and I'm working at the moment in our family business, which is called Entex. And Entex is a civil construction and demolition business. And in recent years, we've had a really big focus on resource recovery. And that looks like recycling of construction and demolition waste. So particularly around recycling of concrete and asphalt and being able to turn um, a product that would normally just go to landfill into aggregate products that can go back into the civil construction industry. So when um, new roads are laid, they might uh, dig up that asphalt. You take that away and and, and what do you do with it? Yeah, so we've invested pretty heavily in some um, neat machinery that's come out from Europe and it's a crusher recycling type um, unit that can take concrete or asphalt. Um, If the concrete goes into it to be crushed, it it can actually separate out metals that are in the concrete, like rheobar, and turn that product into a crushed aggregate and screen it so that it comes out to whatever standard that we want for whatever we're going to use it for. So it might be as a road base, it might be for drainage um, or um, a wearing course for a road as well. How much is that goes on around Australia that terms of that recycling those sort of materials? Well, it's becoming a lot more popular now, particularly in other states, but in the Northern Territory it really hasn't been done in any big way, shape or form before. So it's not a new thing, but it's new here for the Northern Territory. Why is that sort of recycling of of that sort of material important? Well, if you think about how much would go to landfill, if we look at the waste in the Northern Territory, roughly around 32% of all waste that goes to landfill comes from construction and demolition. And a really big part of that is concrete um, in particular. And so it makes sense to be able to turn it into another product that's usable, save it from landfill. And if we just look at our business in particular, um, over the last three years, we've saved over 60,000 tonne of concrete and asphalt from going to landfill and we've processed it into a material that can go back into the construction industry. And where around the Territory do you do your work? Well, we're pretty mobile. So, you know, we're based here in Darwin. Naturally, we get a lot of work in Darwin. And if you look at where most of the demolition projects happen, it is around here. But we've also been out to Catherine, um, Daly River, and we can actually go quite remote as well. So we're actually looking at some projects out, um, I think it's at Numbawa. And um, yeah, we can literally go anywhere in the Northern Territory. You're a finalist for the Rural Women's Award. Um, if you win and get the top gong, um, there's a $15,000 bursary um, mm. available for the winner to pursue a project of their own choosing. Um, what's your project you've got in mind? Okay, so we looked at what we were doing as a small business. Obviously, we're focused on civil construction and demolition. But we thought if we can implement circular economy strategies and sustainability strategies into what I would consider to be one of the most destructive industries on the planet, then maybe other businesses can look at things that we're doing or principles that we're putting into our business and be able to apply it to their businesses. So the project is to actually encourage and help other businesses of any type of size or industry in the Northern Territory to implement sustainability initiatives. So it might be around things like recycling, um, but it goes a lot broader than that. So you look at, well, what can a business actually do that would um, maybe benefit the environment um, or benefit their community? Because sustainability is not just 
about the environment. Most people think that's all it's about, but it's actually benefiting your community. But you also want a sustainable business. So it's looking at how businesses can become more resilient, maybe look for new income streams through activities that involve circular economy um, or recycling, but also just to have a benefit in the wider community, community that they exist in and benefit their own profits and their own business resilience as well. And and what do you mean when you say circular economy? Okay, so I think that example I gave of recycling um, concrete that would go to waste is a really good example of that. But literally, when you're looking at a circular economy, it's looking at, well, what things would normally just go to landfill or be wasted at the end of a particular process? And can you potentially take them and turn them into something else? Or So that could be recycling, but it could also be reusing them or repurposing different Um, waste streams that you would normally have. Eileen Breen, she is one of the finalists for the NT Rural Women's Award. Uh, The other finalists uh, are Simone Cameron and Nicole Brown. The winner will be announced this coming Wednesday night, the 8th of March, uh, tomorrow for International Women's Day. It is 18 minutes past one here on the Country Hour. Time now for another tune. Uh, This is Sierra Farrell with In Dreams. Sierra Farrell there. This is the Country Hour. My name is Dan Fitzgerald on ABC Radio right across the Territory. And just before that tune, we were hearing from NT Rural Women's Award finalist Eileen Breen, who does a lot of work in recycling. We had a text in from Rod from Alice Springs. Rod says the Alice Springs Town Council has been recycling concrete on a large scale for about 15 years now. That is good to hear, Rod. Um, thanks for the text on 0487 1057. It is 21 minutes past one. Well, a hike in membership fees to compete in camp drafts could drive young ringers away from the sport, according to the Secretary of a Central Australian Camp Draft. Competitors in territory camp troughs, uh, which are often one of the few social outings for people on stations, um, before you compete, you must be a member of the Australian Camp Drafting Association. But a $317 late membership fee, well, that's been labelled as too expensive by a number of NT Camp Draft secretaries. Rebecca Cadzo from Mount Riddick Station also says the deadline for those membership fees is also an issue. In recent years, the ACA has changed their membership year to start with, um, which doesn't correlate with their point score. It used to be from March to April or April to March, and now it's um, December, January to December. Um, and they've doubled the membership. So if you don't get your membership paid in the first month, it then has a 50% increase. There's a significant rise if you haven't paid it in the first month and there's no day membership. So for us, we're um, only a little club here in Central Australia. We're the only ones um, in the southern side of um, the Territory. And for us, we have a lot of members that just do our draft. So Paying three to four hundred dollars membership just doesn't make it worthwhile. Um, years ago, they did have a day membership, which made it worthwhile for those people, and especially like for jackaroos that are only here for a few months, or might only get to one or two drafts. If they could just pay a day membership for the weekend, it makes it more accessible for them. At the moment, the membership is actually excluding quite a few people from the sport. 
So how much of an impact um, will these new changes make on you and your family They're not um, if the petition isn't successful? Um, to be honest with you, probably nothing. Um, we'll still pay our membership because we like to enjoy the sport and we like to travel and, and yeah, it's all, I mean, it's all insurance based. So, I mean, insurance has been a, a bit of a roller coaster ride the last 10 years anyway, but, um, yeah, for us personally, nothing. I know for a lot of other people that, I mean, you pay this extraordinary membership fee and then you're still not guaranteed a run at a draft because drafting's become so popular. Um, and for people that, that aren't guaranteed those runs, I know that they'd be rethinking their membership and also rethinking what sport they do with their horses. I know a lot of people are moving away from drafting and taking up other sports. How are you kind of feeling about the overall situation at the moment? We, uh, the Northern Territory Secretaries um, for the Camp Draft Association did pen a letter, um, several of the secretaries did pen a letter to the ACA raising these concerns last year, predominantly for our youngest staff members. Um, with the membership hike because they don't usually come up here and start working until the February and the March. So they don't even get the option of paying the lower membership fee. They're straight onto the higher membership fee if they, they get up here and realise that camp drafting is our only social outing. Um, so we did pen a letter and we, I think we finally got a reply late last year, but it was more or less um, thanks for your interest in our association. That was about it. Um, so I do think... I think other committees are looking at other insurance bodies like the ABCRA um, and I think the ACA might lose a few clubs through it. Rebecca Cadzo from Mount Riddick Station. She's also involved in the Hearts Range camp draft there in Central Australia. Now, the Australian Camp Drafting Association says its increase in the late fee was made to encourage people to pay their fees on time and to keep the organisation running. Uh, here's the ACA's president, Rowan Marks. To be able to set budgets and, and un- understand where we need to be in our spending for the year, of course, to make it easier for the management committee, we'd like the majority of the money in as early as possible. And there seems to be like a little bit of concern that, that uh, the timing of the registration for membership as well is quite early. Ringers or work station workers coming up, but they might not arrive, for example, in Central Australia until slightly later in the year. If they like, come in March, for example, it, they've already missed the membership cutoff. Well, that, that's, that's an ongoing, ongoing concern and, and discussions have been had around... Um, where we go and what we do with that. Um, this has only been in, this is the second year this has been in used. So to obtain data on how many people and who it concerns the most, we have to obtain that by doing some work and some data collection somehow. So changing it straight away wasn't ever going to be really an option because we didn't really know how many people this affected or how many it doesn't affect. Yeah, so going forwards then um, in future years, are you saying that there's potential to change and take into consideration some of these concerns that people have raised? There's always the potential for change, no matter who, where, what, how. I mean, nothing's ever set in stone. However, the management committee have to manage the finances of the association for the good of its members. And how they do that 
is by working through all the proposals put on the table and attempting to come up with what they see is the best options available to them at the time. Now, that's not going to appease everybody's needs. N nothing ever will unless we have a, you know, zero, zero dollars to be a member. Well, then you don't have an association because you can't pay your bills. Yeah, I mean, that's a no-brainer. So there's always going to be some hurt somewhere, and we want to limit that as much as we can because we all have friends, family in, in those same positions. I won't deny that. I, I, my own family is in the same positions. So we need to, to mitigate where that sits and come up with, the, when we get the data, come up with the outcomes that are required to, to appease most people's requirements. Everybody's allowed their opinion, and, and, and I'm glad that they give it because that's what, that's what keeps the, the decision-making true and correct and, and, and it keep, keeps checks and balances in, in what we do. Rowan Marks, he is the president of the Australian Camp Drafters Camp Drafting Association. Time now to check in on the markets. At Roma today, Sam Hart has all the quotes. Roma Combined Agents yarded 5,600 head this week, down by 600. Overall quality was good, with most cattle sourced from local areas as well as the far west and northern New South Wales. Additional buyer support from the Central Highlands and Western Queensland helped keep prices firm on most categories of steers. Heavy ground steers to the processors saw prices to 328.2 to average 321. Heavy feeder steers held firm to slightly cheaper, selling to 390.2, with most around 372 cents, and D-muscle pens averaged 326. Medium feeder steers sold to a similar trend to last week, to 446.2 to average 401, while restockers paid up to 478.2 to average 407. Restocker steers saw an improvement of 10 cents, selling up to 536.2 to average 455. Lightweight restocker steers also saw a slight improvement of five cents with prices to 524.2 to average 473. This has been Sam Half, the National Livestock Reporting Service. Thanks for that, Sam. In the Eki, the Eastern Young, uh, the Eastern States Young Cattle Indicator has uh, dropped below 700 cents carcass weight to 694. That is down a whopping 400 cents on the same time last year. That's it for the Country Hour for today. I'll speak to you tomorrow.